Welcome to the Beyond Sugar Freedom Podcast. I'm your host, Danielle Dame, holistic nutrition coach and speaker. Together, we'll be diving into much more than just another conversation around sugar addiction and nutrition. But more importantly, I'll be guiding you through the inner work and spiritual healing that lies at the root of your unhealthy habits with food. Let's dive in. Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode. I'm your host, Danielle Dame, sugar freedom expert and somatic embodiment coach. And we're in for another doozy today with an incredible guest. Jennifer Carrington is here to talk and share with all of us some very deep and powerful insights about transition into perimenopause and menopause for women, why some of us struggle so much worse than other women struggle, and how we can actually make this transition so much easier for our bodies. So I'm so excited to introduce you to Jennifer and this amazing conversation that we just had. For those who don't know who Jennifer is, Jennifer Harrington is a naturopath, nutritionist, and medical herbalist who has been specializing in and supporting women transitioning into menopause for over 20 years. She has been in clinical practice for this amount of time. And these days, she is the clinical director of Menopause Natural Solutions and the author of From Invisible to Invincible, The Natural Menopause Revolution. And her story is just absolutely incredible. The ups and downs that she shares about her personal body, her personal struggles with excessive bleeding, with PCOS, with fibroids, with possibly facing a hysterectomy and these radical surgeries that I know so many of you listening have been maybe presented with by your doctor, right? We live in a culture and society that, you know, at the first sign of any hormonal challenge, either prescribes you the pill or tells you to remove your reproductive organs. And yes, those can be tools, possibly for some few cases, but we are overusing these as a band-aid approach when it doesn't ever actually fix the underlying problems. So Jennifer is passionate about holistic healing, as am I, and we have a really, really great um, conversation. She shares, like I said, her very raw and real personal challenges and struggles with her hormones and her transition into perimenopause. We talk about the menopausal transition, right? And what are the most common symptoms that are showing up for most women and why they show up is the most important piece. Um, It's actually surprising what she shares as the most common symptoms. It's not night sweats, by the way, which is what I totally thought it was. We talk about why some women suffer more than others and how you can actually alleviate a lot of the suffering that so many women go through starting from believing it to actually what you could do physically and in your lifestyle to support yourself in not having it be this miserable time in your life. We talk about how to advocate for yourself and the role of gut health, minerals, and vitamins, and so much more. This is a jam-packed interview, and I'm not going to tease you anymore. We're going to go ahead right now and play this interview with Jennifer Harrington. I hope you enjoy. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode here on the Beyond Sugar Freedom podcast. I am so excited today to be chatting with my new friend, Jennifer Harrington. Welcome to the show. How are you, Jen? Danny, I'm really good, and I'm so excited to be here, too. 
Yes. Yes. I'm so excited. We actually just wrapped up um, my interview on your podcast. So everybody definitely go and check that out. I'll make sure that's linked in the show notes below. But I knew that we needed to roll reverse here. And I needed to definitely have you on to share your wisdom. And especially this conversation that we are expecting to have. <laughs> we'll see what happens around perimenopause and menopause and actually how to make that transition easier without needing to rely on a whole bunch of chemicals and drugs. So I'm excited to, to hear from you today. But before we dive into all those pieces for my audience, I think a great place to start would be just sharing your story, Jenny. You know, what is it that got you into doing the work that you're doing today and, and, and the incredible healing that you're doing with your clients? Yes, well, I guess it, it all started with my personal journey with my health. So um, I started life working in television, working behind the scenes, pushing all the buttons um, so that you can watch TV when you get home. But I had PCOS, so polycystic ovarian syndrome, which caused stabbing pains that would actually drop me to the ground. So it really wasn't fun. So I went off to see a GP or a general practitioner and got on the oral contraceptive pill. And yes, it took away my pain. No questions there, it took away the pain. But I didn't like what it did to my moods and my personality. Like I didn't like who I was on the oral contraceptive pill. So the doctor said, you're just reacting to this version. We'll give you a different version. So I tried a different one and it was worse. So I'm like, okay, I need to step away from this. Um, there's got to be something else out there for me. So I went and saw a naturopath, and yes, my pain, she also removed my pain, but I liked who I was. I, if anything, had a bigger personality because I had more, more energy and more confidence, and I just went, wow, like I, I love this. So I retrained. I've now been practicing for over 20 years, but the beginning of my practice really started with female reproductive conditions polycystic ovarian syndrome, fibroids, endometriosis, all that kind of thing, which then progressed into fertility. And then as I started aging and as the women that I was working with, we all started going through perimenopause together. So that just seemed like a natural transition to continue to support these women that I've known for decades into the next stage of life. Um, so that's, that's how I got to be where I am. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And I know there's so much more to that story. That's really cool because I can imagine how much you had to learn how, how what different the goals are and the hormones at each of those stages, right? You're helping people's fertility versus helping women, you know, navigate through perimenopause. That's quite a different... Or still hormones. Look. <laughs> yeah. yeah. With a different goal, right? Or a different yes. you know, an understanding. So you definitely, no doubt, have such a deep understanding of hormones at every stage, right? And I know they're, you know, I'm not quite at the stage of perimenopause yet, but I, I love interviewing people like you because I'm getting all the like insider information before I get there, right? And all the tips that I need before I hit that to make it easier. And I know a lot of my listeners are either in perimenopause or in menopause or postmenopause. And I mean, at each of these stages, so much changes. So I'm curious if you could share a little bit more about your experience in that. You know, where are you now? Are you still in perimenopause? And like, how has that journey been for you personally? Yes. Well, I would say it's been, um, there's been multiple phases. So initially, um, I was in my late 30s and I noticed that my 
sleep wasn't as easy as it used to be. Like I used to take sleep for granted and all of a sudden it wasn't as easy as it used to be and that I was really struggling when I didn't get sleep. So before you could have a sleepless night and you'd still roll out of bed and bounce on and move through your day and all of a sudden it was hard. It was like, okay, I didn't sleep last night but I can't function today, why? And um, I also found that I experienced anxiety for the first time. So anxiety is not something that I'd experienced before. And also my migraines that I had in puberty came back. And I'm like, oh, this sounds like a reverse transition. <laughs> Seems like puberty in reverse. And that's exactly what perimenopause is, it's puberty in reverse. So I went, okay, I've got the skills. I know what to do. So I worked on myself. I improved my sleep. I got my energy back improved my moods and I went, ah, it's perimenopause, it's cinch, I've, I've got it. And then it got me again. <laughs> but this time it was with a fibroid and a couple of polyps and it was just horrendous flooding periods. So um, this part of my journey was actually life-threatening in my particular case because it was COVID lockdown and in Australia I couldn't get an iron infusion because you can't have an iron infusion over telehealth. So I lost half my blood supply at home just waiting to be able to, to do something. So I ended up in emergency. But what I know from my story is that it was a time and a place. If that had happened in any other time, I wouldn't have this story to tell. But I did learn certain lessons from that experience. And now I can help women at the early stages of flooding, abnormal, heavy bleeds, not struggle in the same way that I did. So for a lot of women in perimenopause, they may find that their periods come sooner so that you're bleeding more frequently, therefore you're losing more blood. You might find that your periods are heavier. So at my worst, my period was the entire month, like I bled the entire month. And... Um, so, so no women should have to go through that and I'm not telling women this is normal because it's not normal and yeah, don't stay at home, seek help but at least these days you can. Like if you're low in iron, we've got options. We can take oral iron. Through my journey I discovered transdermal iron which I never knew before. And then you've also got your iron infusions. So that part of my journey really slammed me to the floor but that was, I had surgery two years ago and in my case, I really wanted uterine sparing surgery. And that's an individual choice for each woman. What is that? So I, so I had a curette. So um, it was a vaginal surgery just to scrape out the fibroids and the polyps, and I kept my uterus. Where the very beginning of my journey, uh, the first uh, doctor that I saw wanted a hysterectomy. And I said, okay, that is an option. Let's put that down like option D. C or D, let's, let's put it down the list. Let's see what we can do beforehand. But then lockdown happened and things escalated. and yeah. But I did, I did also manage to see, the second doctor went, I think I can do this laparoscopically. I think we can go in through the abdomen but still save your uterus. And then the third surgeon that I saw went, no, we can curate this. We can do it vaginally and we can preserve your reproductive system, so I am still in perimenopause, I kept my uterus, I'm still menstruating, but I'm menstruating normally now. I have a four-day period 
and then I have a break. So, um, wow. Wow. Okay. I, I don't want to interrupt you, but there's so much to unpack here. And I actually like, want to go way back to what you mentioned at the beginning. And I think that was really, um, really important for my listeners in like this transition that you started going through, right? Your doctor's immediate response was, let's put you on the pill. Right. And this is like, I have a, a really close friend of mine who's a colleague in this space. She suffered with PCOS as well. Um, even back in, in that when you were struggling with that. And that was her doctor's recommendation too. Right. And, um, it's very interesting. I mean, I mean, this is, this is my biased opinion, right? That our medical system is all about band-aids. So here the, the pain went away, right? It was this cure for your pain, but was it actually curing what was actually happening underneath? So, you mentioned, and you know, I really commend you for that, right? You tried a few different things and you're like, no, there's got to be a better way. And you sought out that alternative medicine, right? The alternative ways of, of doing and being. And uh, I think that we live in a world now where we have to do that, right? We just can't just roll over and take what our GP necessarily always says. They don't necessarily have all the answers. Neither does naturopath. Like nobody has all the answers, of course. But um, I think that's just really incredible. You mentioned that your naturopath was able to help you reduce that pain. But you didn't mention what she did. So what what was the protocol for your PCOS, like with your, if, if you're open to sharing that, like with your naturopath, what other avenues did you seek outside of having to take the pill? So the primary modality that she used in my particular case was herbal medicine. So we used herbal medicine to help regulate my cycle to reduce pain. Um, she also spoke to me about my diet, um, working in the TV station, 24-hour shift work. So we, we, we spoke about lifestyle, diet, um, nutrition, so things like magnesium. And, um, but the herbal medicine was a primary part for me. Yeah. Let me guess. Were you eating sugar and drinking coffee while you worked in the, in the, in the movie industry or in the TV industry? Uh I probably was eating sugar, yes. Uh, I don't think I was drinking coffee at that stage. but Impressive. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I asked that tongue-in-cheek because obviously everybody here listening to the show, right, has has a love for sugar, right, and how this can contribute to absolutely wreaking havoc on hormones and well, pain and inflammation in the body. Absolutely. Yeah. So was that a – like, do you have a specific journey with, with sugar out of curiosity? Like, what was – have you ever had a, a problem with sugar or found yourself eating too much sugar? Was that a part of your sort of healing journey as well? I think everyone's had trouble with sugar at some point. Agreed. Um, for me, it's been a, a roller coaster and it's not been a long it's not been a long ride. Like it's just been like you've, I've gone on holidays, I've gone overboard, realised I've gone overboard, come back, cleaned up my diet. Maybe as a child before I studied naturopathy, um, definitely I can think back. Um, yes, my, my sister and I used to race home some days, got to beat mum home so we can make a bowl of icing. <laughs> so yes, yes, I'd say that sugar might have been a problem when I was younger. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Right? I mean, it, it's, it sneaks in everywhere, of course. So yeah, thank, thanks for sharing that. Um, and then this, this last piece that you just mentioned, I think, again, I, I, I'm pulling this out of what you're saying because I think it's really important for, for my audience that in this last, first of all, 
horrible timing, right, during COVID to have any medical issues go on. So I'm so sorry that you went through that. It sounds absolutely terrifying. And I really want to commend you and, and point out to everybody that you sought out multiple opinions, right? You didn't just take the first surgeon's word for it, right? And you, it sounds like you really trusted your body, right? And you really listened to, no, thank you for that information. Let's see what other options I have. Let me get all the information so that I can make an educated decision on my own. And I know that that's not easy. I know there's a lot of my listeners here who who just don't do that, right? Because it takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of time. It takes searching for other other people. So I think that's that's just really um, incredible that you did that. And you found someone who had an option that aligned with you know, what your goals were, right? And what felt good for you. Um, so... As you continue in this transition, you know, what what do you think contributed to the, the fibroids and what was going on? Like, was there was there something, it sounds like you, you've obviously had surgery to, or a procedure to have them sort of removed. Was that the only thing that you did to get your cycle back on track? Or what are some of the other things that, that you're doing to, to now be more, more regular as you transition? Yeah. Um... So for me, I think estrogen dominance played a big role. And when I was going through it, I was doing some testing on myself and I did a GI map or a microbiome test just to see what was going on with my digestive system. And I found that I had really high levels of beta-glucadonerase. And beta-glucadonerase is an enzyme, but I'll probably step back a bit to explain it better. So we have estrogen in our body. And as it goes around and does its job, when it goes through the liver, it sort of puts a tag on it to say, yep, you're ready for excretion. And then we have, and this is a sugar tag. So when it's going through the digestive system getting ready to be excreted, if you've got high amounts of dysbiosis, you can produce a lot of beta-glucadonerate. This is an enzyme, so it breaks the sugar off to feed the dysbiosis. And guess what? Your estrogen doesn't get excreted it then recycles through the system. So I found that I had higher amounts of estrogen because of the beta-glucadonerase, but also because I wasn't having a cycle every month, that I was maybe not ovulating every month, that my estrogen progesterone levels weren't in ratio together, that it was a relative estrogen dominance purely from not ovulating. Add on the top of that the dysbiosis from the excessive beta-glucadonerase, and my estrogen levels were just too high. And estrogen is a growth factor. It's looking for things to grow. So uh, in my case, um, I'm really good at growing things in my uterus. So I have grown cysts, I've grown polyps, <laughs> fibroids, and a daughter. So um, it's... Yeah. Wow, yeah, yeah you've so, done that really well. That's, I think that's really helpful. So for people who are having, like, more cycles then, right? I'm curious, right? You were mentioning and so they're heavier not necessarily cycles. ovulating. So when when you're going through perimenopause and you're finding that instead of maybe having a four week cycle, you may be having a three week cycle, you're not necessarily ovulating in that time. So I really think as perimenopause is semi retirement, with menopause being retirement. So we're talking about retirement of the ovary. So in, in perimenopause, semi-retirement, the ovaries sometimes work, that you sometimes ovulate, you sometimes release an egg, you sometimes don't. And when that happens, we find that we have extra 
not that we have extra estrogen, it's that we don't have progesterone. Because progesterone is released when you ovulate. And if you haven't ovulated, you don't have the same amount of progesterone you would normally have in that phase of the cycle. So therefore, like estrogen is like the acceleration and progesterone is like the break. So you don't have the breaking system. Estrogen can just go and grow, 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 depending on where your weakness is. And in my particular case, it's my uterus is where it likes to grow. So for other women, it could be breasts, like they might have fibrocystic um, breast issues. Um, it's different in everyone. Yeah, thank you for explaining that. That makes a lot of sense. Hopefully everybody listening as well. Um, so I'm curious to talk more about the, the actual menopausal transition. I know we're talking about, a little bit about perimenopause, but now as we get further along in that transition, what are some of the most common symptoms? I know this feels like a silly question because as women, we kind of hear about the hot flashes and the poor sleep and the weight gain and we hear about all the things, but I'm curious in your experience, you know, what are, what are some of the most common symptoms at that phase of the journey and more importantly like why are these symptoms actually showing up is it just the 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 shift in estrogen and progesterone are there other things going on there in terms of why those symptoms are, are showing up well let's start with the first part of that question what are the most common symptoms and it surprises women most women will think it's hot flushes or night sweats like you said yeah. it seems to be the the first thing the general public considers but it's actually fatigue. Fatigue is the number one symptom of the menopausal transition. And it can be fatigue for so many reasons. Like if you think about your typical midlife woman, she might still be raising kids at home. She may be looking after her parents. She might have financial concerns. She may have work concerns. Like there's so many different things going on at that time of life. But a lot of women don't actually realise that fatigue can be a sign of the transition. Brain fog can be a sign of the transition. Sleep, as you mentioned, sleep, um, hot flushes, night sweats. Um, my friend Andrea Donsky at Morphus has counted 104 symptoms of the menopausal transition. So it's not just your hot flushes and your night sweats. It's quite far-reaching. The thing is that we have estrogen receptors everywhere in our body. Therefore, when our levels of hormones change, it can affect everywhere. Um, yeah. So is that why they're showing up and those, those symptoms specifically? Um, it's just that shift and that lowering of the hormones or is there other... So wherever we've got a receptor, so say we've got a cell that's got an estrogen receptor, it wants to, to bind to estrogen for the cell to function properly. If estrogen's not there, the cell doesn't function properly. And if the cell doesn't function properly, the tissue or the organ or wherever the organ, wherever that cell's in, may have a change in function. So we, even when we're looking globally, so take Japan for example, they don't really get hot flushes. Their main symptom of menopause is frozen shoulder. So we, we experience menopause differently around the globe just depending on, on what we do. And when we think about a traditional Japanese diet, has a lot of fermented soy. Now, I'm not a big fan of soy because in Western culture, the soy is isolated, it's highly, highly processed, 
and it hasn't been prepared in the same way. Like when we're looking at, at Japanese food, they like to ferment it. But we can also, when we're looking at optimizing or preparing foods, if you think about your grandparents, they would soak a lot of foods, they would sprout a lot of foods, they would ferment a lot of foods. We don't do that. Uber, we can't ring up Uber Eats and say, can you like It doesn't really happen in the same way. Um, so, so in Japan, they're having a lot of this fermented soy, which is acting like a phytoestrogen. And phytoestrogens aren't the same as estrogen, but they're similar enough that they can still bind to these estrogen receptors, not necessarily having the same response, but having a response. So we find that phytoestrogens are really good in the case of elevated. So in my case, I had relative estrogen dominance in that it can block the receptor. If the phytoestrogen's on the receptor, then estrogen can't bind in. And we find if you're low in estrogen, a phytoestrogen, a weak estrogenic response is going to be better than none. So um, it and also depends on your health of your microbiome because when we're looking at something like soy, if you have Asian genetics, you have a very good chance of being able to turn soy into its active, which is called equal. But when they did research looking around the globe, Westerners generally can't do that. We are much better at converting flaxseed into its active constituent. So um, there is some really interesting microbiome research looking at, at um, phytoestrogens and, and why they do better in different places. So first of all, in Japan it's fermented. Second of all, they've got the genetics and the microbiome to help them activate it. Um, so pomegranates are another one that Western, Western women do better with. So um, pomegranates, if you like that, converts to, um, oh, I had it. <laughs> um, yeah, so fascinating. The, the, main, the main three phytoestrogens that the research has done on is soy, flaxseed, and pomegranate. Wow, that is so fascinating. Thank you for, for sharing that. That's I don't know about everybody listening, but I'm just my mind is blown. Because in my mind, what I've learned, right, is like soy bad. Don't eat soy, you know, it mimics estrogen, like we don't need more estrogen, but some people do. Right? And I mean, yes, here in definitely in North America, I know you're in Australia. Um, and I don't know if it's the same there, but I mean our soy here is just garbage. It's absolute garbage. Yeah. It's garbage. It's not even soy anymore. I don't even know what it is. It has been GMO'd so many times. So it is fascinating and hopefully, you know, in Japan, right, they're able to they're still maybe growing more traditional strains of the plant, right? Um, so it's not comparing apples to apples when we look at soy here. And it's soy also there. what they do to it when they have it. And they do that too, right? So maybe it's more natural soy that then they're also fermenting and we're doing all these things, right, that are in the, the food production, which we just don't do here, like you said. So that's really, really fascinating. And, um, yeah, I'm learning so much. This is so great. <laughs> so uh, another question. Oh, yeah, go for it. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, when we're looking at the menopausal transition, it's like a bell-shaped curve. You've got 20%, 10 to 20% of the women over here that have no symptoms. So it's absolutely possible to transition and just wake up and not have a period. And then you've got 20% of the people down here, which I feel so sorry for. They have the worst, horrendous, heartbreaking time. The rest of us are somewhere along here. And when we're looking at 
why? Why is it possible that these people can transition through? And that gives me hope. If, if they can, why can't I? And when I'm looking at some of the things that set women up for success, so I can't guarantee you I can get you down at this end of the bell-shaped curve, but even if I can move you from over here to over there, <laughs> that's going to be life-changing. So some of the things I look at is what is going on with your gut? Do you have a healthy digestive system? Um, do you have any symptoms? Do you have bloating, constipation, heartburn? Because these need to be addressed and generally there's a deeper level of dysbiosis that needs to be assessed for and treated. Because if you're not recycling estrogens in the way that I was, hopefully you won't grow a fibroid and won't get the bleeds that I had. The other thing I look at is there are many conditions that mimic or have the same symptoms as perimenopause. So we can look at thyroid dysfunction, hypothyroidism. The symptom picture almost matches perimenopause. And it's the same with blood sugar irregularities, prediabetes, diabetes. Those symptoms also pretty much match in with perimenopause. So there's so much we can do dietary-wise to help support your transition. Um, but I also like to look at lifestyle. Um, there's an amazing book, um, The Slow Moon Climbs, and it talks of the history. Have you read it? No, but I've heard of it. It's the history of menopause. And it's talking about as long as women, as long as, as humans have been around, we have experienced perimenopause and menopause. This is not something new. But what historians have been doing is they've been looking at life expectancy instead of lifespan. So life inspect expectancy includes all the children, all the female little girls that died in childhood. It includes all the women that died in childbirth to say the average age is going to be around here. But you're still going to have women that outlive that, that, that didn't die in childbirth and that they've made it to here and beyond. And those women still experienced menopause in the past. But it hasn't been the same way as it is now. And you start to think, what is different now? The environment is massively different the chemicals, the toxicity, the metals, and especially women of, of my generation, we are the lead-based generation. We used to eat toys. We used to chew on toys painted in lead paint. Right. I can remember having one of those little walkers with the little blocks inside. They were all painted in lead-based paint, and we would chew on them. Um, it was in our, our petrol, and our body stores that. Hopefully we've got good genes that can detoxify it, but for some of us, we're still carrying around that toxicity. So I very much look at toxicity, but even today, air quality, water quality, th these are massive issues. Um, mold can also be put into that equation, that there's more mold in our food than potentially in the past because of the way we store and process it. So uh, a lot of grains, even things like coffee, can harbour mould and mycotoxins. Um, there's a particular strain called Zia, or Zeolirin, and that one is a xenoestrogen. So we have phytoestrogens and xenoestrogens, but xenoestrogens are like toxic estrogens. So they all the negative effects that you can think of. So I, I don't want to put estrogen down. It, it's amazing. Really. <laughs> it does so many wonderful things, but 
it has good signs and it has bad signs. So, um, yeah, so looking at your actual physical environment, but also when you think about activity and movement. I don't do anywhere near as much movement as, say, my grandparents or my great-grandparents used to do. Like, if you think about hunting, gathering, farming, that is really labour-intensive. And we know with that menopausal transition, there is that risk of sarcopenia, which is muscle loss. There is that risk of osteopenia, osteoporosis, that is bone loss. So whatever we can do for our physical strength, so weight-bearing exercises are fantastic. Um, there, there's so many things you can do, and it's what you do now. It's like money in the bank. Every little thing you can do now is money in the bank later on you're really setting yourself up for that easier transition but also life after that I don't know about you but I want my health span to be as pretty close to my lifespan as possible so lifespan is how long I'm going to live health span is how long I'm going to live healthily so ideally it'll be like this unfortunately most people get chronic disease and issues here and then unfortunately they still have decades of Help. They're, they're probably grateful for their decades of, of life after that point, but wouldn't it be nicer instead of working on this to work on the health span so that we can actually enjoy our life? We can run around with our grandkids. We can still, you know, have a game of tennis in the afternoon if that's what we choose to do. Yes, I'm with you. I want, I want that. That's me too. <laughs> and I'm so grateful for all these tips and obviously the access to knowledge from people like you and. The other incredible you know, women that I know that teach on hormones and impact me because this is kind of the phase that I'm at in life is thinking about how can I set myself up just like with sugar and food, right? How can I set myself up for the future? And um, I know that can be tricky for a lot of people, you know, watching and listening to think about your future self when the current self just wants to eat a tub of ice cream, right? Like it can be really hard to plan ahead like that. But I... Yeah, I'm really, really grateful that you brought in uh, the lifestyle piece and the movement piece. I mean, even when we think about our blood sugar regulation, we know now what impact muscle mass has on our body's ability to actually metabolize. And, um, you know, this goes with the hormones as well, right? And, and making those, those transitions easier. And, you know, I don't, I don't know if you see this, Jen, but this is like obviously where my mind goes. I'm not having been through this transition yet myself, so full disclosure, right? But I do see as women, you mentioned a lot about the, the, the history, right? And how things are so different now, the toxins in our environment. And I would also add to that, that it's the, the pressure to do all the things, right? That we have as women now, we are doing way too much, way too much trying to like accomplish and it's most of it things. not for us. No. We're doing all these things exactly. for other people. Exactly. Right? The people pleasing, the like, constantly giving. I'm, um, I don't know if you, you know Gabor Mate. I'm, I'm just uh, reading, finished reading his um, The Myth of Normal, his new book. And that chapter, he was literally just this morning in my ear talking about that, right? Proving that disease development in people pleasers or people who are constantly doing things for others without ever doing anything for themselves actually develop disease physical disease breast cancer that's breast, yeah breast cancer. yeah that was that was the one he was talking about is the cancer development of um, yeah people who, who never give to themselves not saying don't ever help other people but it's very different energy so 
Yeah, I'm really fascinated about that, like the energetic piece and the trauma piece of that. And it's probably a rabbit hole for another day. But I think just, just the overarching message that I wanted to share and add to that is this, especially during the transition, I think women are still trying to keep up with their younger selves, right? And like, I can do all the things and I can stay out late and I can, you know, I can keep, you know, crushing and be busy and, and like, we really need to start valuing rest more, right? And I mean, I was just sharing before, before recording this, I just spent the weekend resting because I was sick and it was glorious and I loved every minute of doing nothing. And most of us don't do that, right? And we, we really downplay and we think we need to do all these things and do them for other people and constantly be pushing. And that transition, especially as we age, right? We, we don't live in a culture that really celebrates that transition, right? And, and allows that, the wisdom of elders and, and these sorts of things. So I don't know, I'm curious if, if you would agree or do you, do you have anything to add to, to that? No, I love that. I'm, I'm just thinking of... Um... So my birthday this year, I spoiled myself with a shamanic African drumming, dancing, chanting wow. evening. It was just so much fun. And like you do something like that, it's so soul-filling. And you go, why don't I do this all this time? And uh, it was my birthday beginning of August. It's now, you know, in the middle of end of September and I haven't done it yet. I haven't done it again. <laughs> it's like these, these shouldn't be the one and done special treats that we do ourselves they, they should be a, a regular part of life like we're doing everything else to make everyone else's life easy how about adding more joy and I know in in my podcast that I've done some episodes on things like um, laughter for menopause and I can't believe I actually found research on laughter for menopause I found research on reading like how awesome is it just to have an afternoon dedicated to reading it's like no I don't mind what the rest of the family's doing. It's me and my book, and I'm sitting and reading. So just, just little things like that. Um, there, there's so many little things that we can add in that can really change our quality of life. And, you know, mental note for me, I am listening to myself. I am going to have to book <laughs> another drumming class. Yes, an afternoon of reading. <laughs> yeah, that sounds so nourishing. Right? And... And just acknowledging for anyone listening to this, right, that we, unfortunately, we do live in a patriarchal society that doesn't support us to do these things, right? So we do have to be a little bit black sheepish if we're going to prioritize ourselves or we're going to take that afternoon off to read, right, or call in sick for work because we just need a day of rest, right? And, you know, we do kind of sometimes come up against, you know, this system that we are living in that doesn't support our hormones, you know, on a monthly basis, nor does it support our hormones as we transition, you know, maybe you have less energy, right? Or you're bleeding more frequently and all these things that are that are showing up for you. And it really is up to you to advocate for looking after yourself, right? And I know that that can be so hard. And uh, I'm ready to advocate when I need to. <laughs> but I know that many people are struggling with that. Yeah. So you totally answered my question that I was going to ask earlier about why some women are like suffering more than others and obviously sharing some really, really awesome tips about how to make that transition better. Because I think, I don't know about your clients, but I know a lot of my clients and really women that I have in my life, there seems to be this, this just this belief that it's going to suck. It's going to suck. Menopause is absolutely going to suck. I'm going to be miserable. I'm never going to sleep. I'm going to be sweating. And awkward times during the day 
And I would say be careful what you wish for. Totally, right? Here's the power. Sounds like a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you want that, it can be that. But it doesn't need to be. Yeah, I'm so glad that you mentioned that, right? Because that is the, the power of belief here has a real effect, right? If we if we think getting off sugar is going to be the most impossible thing in the world, it's probably going to be really difficult, right? So same with, with if we believe that this is going to be difficult. Um, but so what other tips? I know, and, and more importantly, actually, I want to dive in maybe and talk a little bit about minerals, because I know this is an area that you're super passionate about and really educated in. Um, you mentioned some lifestyle things, but you know what else can we women do as we maybe enter perimenopause and then menopause to make that transition and to maybe minimize, like you said, getting from that one side of the bell curve to the other side of the bell curve. Like what are some things that we can do without necessarily having to hop ourselves up on a bunch of drugs or have our uteruses removed or be on birth control and have all these sort of medical poking and prodding going on? Before I answer that, I just want to say that there's so much on social media that is really narrow focused on hormones, 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 hormones. But this is a life transition. It is a full body transformation. Um, like if we look at the, the Chinese, they call it the second spring. So full disclosure, I am still in perimenopause. I haven't made it out the other end, but all the women I know out the other end say that life 2.0 is magical. And it's so much better. So I, I, I'm actually looking forward to it. But, you know, each to their own. Um, you, you do you. But for me personally, I would, I would prefer to, to look forward to, to life where fertility is off the table. Like if I want to live my life for me, why not? <laughs> if I want to go traveling, if I want to go swimming. And not have to worry about a period coming. That that just sounds like magic. Think of all the white pants you can wear with no fear, right? <laughs> well, there was definitely a couple of years in there where that was not no, white was. anything. <laughs> well, I can't wear white for the reason. I am just so clumsy. It, I would be a mess in two seconds. <laughs> I would just be covered in dirt and chocolate and it's like, not good. So getting... um. Uh, back to the question. Oh, sorry, I was talking about hormones. So I wanted to say that I did a survey for my audience, not for my audience, sorry, from, from the patients, the women that I work with, and 75% of the women that I work with did the transition naturally. So they worked on their gut, they worked on their minerals, they worked on their lifestyle, and they transitioned naturally. And for me, it's about the woman that I'm working with because 15% of the women came on on hormones and wanted to stay on hormones. I got no problems with that because it's not either or. Like it's not like we're picking, you know, do I have magnesium or B vitamins today? It's not either or. They do different things. It's it's all relevant. And there was actually about 10% of people that I actually said, you're on this side of the bell curve. You're really struggling. Let's not struggle. Let's get you some hormonal support. Why we do some testing and deep digging. So women come to me at all stages and no judgment from me, this is your journey, this is you do you. But what I'm offering is something different. Like you mentioned, lifestyle, the environment, the diet, the general health. That's where I step in to set women up for their best life to come, not just for the menopausal transition, but for healthy ageing and, and moving forward. Now, you asked about minerals. I love minerals. I see minerals as key building blocks for your health. Like if you have a mineral deficiency, 
this is linked in with disorders and potentially diseases and potentially death. So just looking at the issue that I had with iron, like if I ran out of iron, I would not be here. Like it's, it's that in, important, but it's not necessarily having high levels of minerals either. It, it's like a seesaw, like we don't want too much, we don't want too little, we just want just, just in the middle. So that is one of my key focuses, is having a look at your, your minerals and your vitamins because we must consume them. Our body can't produce them, so we need to say, okay, A, what are your levels doing? Let's test and find out. Where, where is our focus? And there's another book called The Mineral Fix. And in that, Dr. James says, it's looking at America, that um, one in three Americans have at least 10 mineral deficiencies. So it's not an isolated single mineral deficiency. It's bulk deficiency across the board. And when we're looking at that, we need to go, well, why is it everything? So then we go, okay, is it the soil that the food's grown in? Because if you're eating commercially grown food, the nutrients aren't in the soil in the first place. They're not going to make it into the plant. They're not going to make it into the body. Um, so it can be looking at eating from regenerative, regenerative farms and or, or organic farms. It can be that you're actually not choosing to consume the foods that have the minerals in them. So you might be on a high sugar diet, high carbohydrate diet, and you're not getting all your needs met, even if it is good quality food. It could be that your digestive system can't absorb the minerals. So is there a dysbiosis going on? Is there an issue with acids, with enzymes? Why is it your body breaking down the food and absorbing the nutrients that it requires? Um, it can be environmental toxicity. Certain environmental toxins actually block binding sites, so the minerals can't physically get there. So these are some of the xenoestrogens, these are some of the metals, some of the chemicals. Maybe you're too toxic and maybe you need to work on detoxifying so that your body can actually accept and use the minerals that you've got. Now, there's so many different reasons why we have multiple deficiencies, but I also do sometimes pinpoint some, iron being a very important one, um, they, but they're all important. Yeah, I think that... that that last piece is really key for people to hear, I think, because we, I know myself included, you know, when we, when I think of minerals, I think of my electrolytes and iron, like that's all I think of really, right? And there's so many that most of us don't even know about. And I remember when I was reading my nutrition book back when I was in school, what are all of these like minerals and vitamins that I didn't really know about? And we hear more about the vitamins, right? And I can hear a lot of my listeners saying, yeah, well, I take a multivitamin every day, so I'm good. And that's probably not the case. I think um, I really love, and, and I think this really hit home for me when I learned it. I want to, you just said it, and I want to pull it out for people, is it's not always a input problem, but the absorption, right? I know so many people, and I remember this was me as well, being maybe testing for low in iron and just thinking, well, I'm not eating enough iron. So popping all these iron supplements, right? Maybe starting to eat a bunch of red meat and look, my iron's still low. What's going on? Right? So we can throw in as much as we want down the hatch. But if our gut, like you said, is not actually doing anything with it, if it's not actually getting in our bloodstream, what's the point? So you did mention that you can test for this. Like how would people know if their minerals are out of balance and, and 
you know, what are some of the maybe basic first steps to, to get started in that? So I generally start with signs and symptoms because some of the testing is easy, some of the testing is expensive, so it all just depends on budget women have to, to pay for. But if you're coming in and you've got headaches, leg cramps, you're tired, you're not sleeping well, I sort of go, hmm, this really sounds like magnesium. So sometimes knowing that you know the vast majority of us are low in magnesium, we might start with a magnesium product and just see how you go on that. If you find that, oh, I don't get leg cramps anymore, or oh, I'm sleeping better at night, then, then that could be a good way to go about it. And the other thing that I don't know we have mentioned is different ways to get things in. Like an Epsom salt bath is just such a beautiful way, a relaxing way, a self-nurturing way to get some more magnesium in by the skin. Yeah, that's my favourite. That's my favourite way. That in the ocean. Yes. Yes. Oh, that was me on Sunday. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I was in the Epsom salt bath. You were in the ocean. <laughs> Yeah, that's a really good point. You were talking about transdermal um, iron and like there's, yeah, exactly, like injection. There's a lot of way that we can kind of get around even the gut maybe while we're healing the gut, right? And we might need that extra support. So in, in my personal journey, the oral line was giving me constipation and any straining on the toilet was leading to increased bleeding. So I really didn't want there to be any straining. So I, I could take some oral iron, but I couldn't take enough. And I really, it was through my personal journey that I reached out to a friend of mine who's a compounding pharmacist and just went, what other options do I have? And she's like, have you ever tried a transdermal iron cream? And I'm like, no. <laughs> so I was getting in 10 times the amount of iron through my skin that I was taking orally and it just it didn't cause any digestive upsets because it was by the skin into the blood, not by the digestive system into the blood. So different nutrients you can get in different ways, like the Epsom salt in through the skin. Iron can come in through the skin. Um, B12 can come in through the skin. So it, it all really depends on... <laughs> sorry, what was that? Vitamin D. Vitamin D, absolutely. Oh, that's a big... Great example. Yeah. That's so, so, so it's also, cool. Yeah, there's just so many factors to consider, but ultimately it's about tweaking, starting something, tweaking, changing, tweaking, changing, and not, not giving up. Like in my personal journey, I have seen multiple practitioners. I didn't, it's like if you've got a leaking house, like if you've got a leaking tap in the house and the plumber doesn't fix it, you don't like to live with it. You get another plumber in. You keep trying until the problem is solved. And I see that with health. If you've been working with someone, you're not getting the results, maybe you need to tweak. Maybe you need to change and continue to work with that practitioner or maybe you need a second opinion. But I'm certainly not from doctor shopping. Like I don't want you to go and see everybody that you possibly can because then you're going to get 10 different solutions and you're going to walk away extremely confused. And if you're, you're working for something, I do, like, the body inherently wants to heal. Sometimes you just need to provide the stimulus, point it in the right direction, and that it can do the job that it wants to do. That's really beautiful. Yeah, such a powerful way to wrap things up here. Thank you so much for sharing that. And 
I'm like, I think this is, we're, we're going to have to have more of a conversation because I'm already thinking of many other questions, but I want to be respectful of everybody's time who's listening and tuning in. So where can people come and find more about you online? You know, come listen to your podcast and dive deeper into this conversation if they've resonated with what you've shared today. So I'm Clinical Director of Menopause Natural Solutions. So that is the podcast name, that is the website, that is all social medias, Menopause Natural Solutions. Um, that's where you'll find me. Fantastic. I'll make sure, of course, all those links are below in the show notes. And Jen, this has been incredible. Thank you so much for, for coming in and sharing your wisdom. I'm already feeling more prepared for my transition. I'm like, okay, these are some things I need to start doing or some things that I need to start prepping for. Um, although I'm still hopefully years away, but this is, it's so helpful to know that there's people out there like you, you know, supporting. And I think that's, that's the last sentiment that I want to leave everyone with. Don't do this alone, right? Like have someone in your corner or a couple people in your corner. Like you said, you shopped around, you had a team that supported you right? in this transition and continues to support you. So, you know, if, uh, if you need someone on your team, Jen's here, reach out to Jen. And um, yeah, so can, of course, all of the, the wonderful information that you're sharing. And like I said, I'll make sure all those links are below. Thank you so much again, Jen, for being here. It's been incredible. Yeah, excited to have you back. We'll dive deeper into minerals. <laughs> I know we've just kind of lost it today. Yeah, yeah, I can tell that you're passionate and there's so much there that I definitely don't know. So we'll, we'll definitely do that. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode. Jen, I hope you have an amazing day. Everyone listening, I hope you have an amazing rest of your week as well. And we'll see you in the next one. Thank you for tuning in to another episode. If you're loving what we talked about today, please remember to subscribe, leave a review, and share this episode with someone you love. And if you're ready to dive deeper into discovering your root causes and patterns that are keeping you hooked on sugar, be sure to check out our brand new free workshop series that will help you kick emotional eating for good. Find the link to download this free series and other amazing resources in the show notes below.